0: British inventor John Logie Baird, born in 1888 and known as the inventor of the colour television, has an extremely interesting tale to tell in his autobiography involving the bloody thumbprint on a razor blade left by a boy who killed himself, slitting his throat with the razor and coming back after death to leave another thumbprint that could be used to compare the prints. Known as the father of television, the British Science Museum, say John Baird shared an early interest in engineering. He set up a telephone exchange in his bedroom as a boy to connect with his friends across the street. He'd enrolled at the Glasgow Technical College, but the First World War interrupted his course so that he couldn't graduate. In 1915, he went to work at the Clyde Valley Electrical Power Company. He invented a thermal water-absorbent sock before moving to Trinidad and setting up a jam-making business. Unfortunately, the venture wasn't successful, so he returned to Scotland a year later. It was after moving to Hastings by the coast in England that he began to experiment with broadcasting images Apparently he collected together odds and ends including a hat box, a tea chest, a bicycle light, darning needles and scissors, and from this he built his first apparatus. In 1924 he broadcast a silhouette of a Maltese cross ten feet in size, proving that his system he'd created worked. That same year He fortunately survived a 1,000-volt electric shock when he was experimenting at home in the flat he rented. Apparently after this, his landlord asked him to leave. His television company would go on to make the first TV programs broadcast on the BBC as part of their experimental broadcasts. And now we get to the bloody razor-blade thumbprint and the remarkable tale told a one day when he was staying at a hotel. One day, a bent-up elderly man appeared in the boardroom. He was a professor and a distinguished entomologist, and he had a very strange story to tell. It appeared he had been called in to investigate the activities of a medium called Marjorie, a respectable married lady who had lost her only son in tragic circumstances. This boy, Jack, one morning, in a fit of depression, had gone into the bathroom and cut his throat, leaving the razor with blood-stained thumb marks on the floor. This razor had been locked away untouched. His mother Marjorie was of course heartbroken at losing her only son, and it seemed that she turned to a spiritualist circle to see if they could contact her dead son. Well, much to everyone's surprise, when Marjorie visited the circle, it was quickly discovered that Marjorie herself seemed to be in possession of remarkable mediumistic abilities. In the darkened room of the seance, she would go into a deep trance as her body extruded a strange vapour called ectoplasm. This extraordinary substance floated about her like a cloud. And was of such a mysterious nature that it could be used by the spirits to build ectoplasmic bodies, Logie Baird says. Well, what happened next is quite extraordinary. He says the spirit of Jack, her departed son, appeared in the séance room. Not only did he speak and answer questions, but he used the ectoplasm to materialise his hand and shook hands with the guests. wrote messages and moved objects and did all that a hand floating in space could do well it was after this spectacular evening that the old entomology professor who later approached baird at the hotel was called upon by the spiritualist circle to come and act as an independent scientific observer the professor later told baird that he approached the matter with complete scepticism and went to work with the careful thoroughness of a highly trained observer. The elderly professor was hampered, however, by the fact that the seances always took place in the dark, as is customary practice for seances, with, says Baird, ectoplasm being highly sensitive to light, which destroys it, with dreadful results to the medium, profuse bleeding and even death. Such was the tale. Nevertheless, the professor shook hands with the ectoplasmic manifestation, and the hand, he said, felt hard and cold like the skin of a serpent. But of its existence, there was no doubt. Then, the professor was stuck with a really brilliant idea. No two thumbprints were alike. Why not get Jack's ectoplasmic hand to make a fingerprint and compare it with the prints on the carefully preserved razor? So, at the next séance, Jack, when he materialised, was asked to press his ectoplasmic hand into a piece of wax to leave his print. Then the print was compared with the prints on the bloody razor. Baird says the prints were identical, but it didn't end there. The professor, says Baird, had heard that I had a device which enabled a person to see in the dark. He wanted to borrow this so that he could watch the whole process of materialisation. I agreed at once to take part in this, and he went off to arrange matters. It was going to be tremendously exciting, of course. However, it was not to be. Bed says I never saw him again. He was killed in a motor accident. A spiritualist told me that this was undoubtedly the action of the spirit forces and the result of his effort to pry into sacred secrets. Well, it was shortly after this, That Baird's contact with Thomas Edison came, though Edison was dead by now. It started with the arrival of a man at the company where Baird was working. The stranger had brought with him an invention that he wanted to show Baird. It was an electric motor controlled by a tuning fork. Baird says he had it with him, but had some difficulty in making it run properly. So I suggested he should come back when the troubles were overcome. He rose to go, and as a parting shot, he said, Would you care to have definite and irrefutable evidence of the survival of the personality after death? I said, Yes, I would give everything I possessed for such evidence. Well, he said, you only have to go to West Wimbledon. I duly arrived at the address given, a small, highly respectable villa. Here I was welcomed by a party of elderly ladies and gentlemen and given tea. Then a medium arrived, a nervous-looking woman of about thirty-five. We all trooped up to the séance room, and here there was arranged a circle of chairs, and in the centre of this, a small box, like a sentry box, draped in black, with a chair. The medium was handcuffed to this chair, and the audience sat round on the other chairs provided. Each person held a hand of each of his neighbours and put a foot on one of his neighbour's feet, so that any undetected movement of hand or foot was impossible. Lights were then extinguished, and the leader, an elderly gentleman with whiskers, then led the singing of a hymn. This was followed by a prayer, then darkness and silence, broken only by a mysterious steady humming sound, which I learned afterwards came from an electrical tuning fork. The rhythmic sound was found to assist manifestations. We waited and waited. The darkness and silence had a most eerie effect. Then the old lady next to me squeezed my hand and whispered, Look, it's coming! Sure enough, in front of the booth, faint and almost invisible, a wavering purple-coloured cloud was forming. It grew denser and then the silence was broken by the irregular tapping of a Morse key the spirit was signalling by tapping in morse code the message was directed to me and it came from no less a person than thomas alva edison edison had it appeared been experimenting with noctovision in his home on the astral plane and he was convinced that it would in time prove of great use in assisting communication between the living and those who had passed over but that the time was not ripe and to attempt to use it now would incur grave danger. He was, however, continuing his research and would communicate with me when the time came to use his Noctivision. Well, here Edison's message stopped and a new spirit took over, who gave her name as Lily. And Baird says Lily was more domestic in her messages and gave detailed advice to one of the circle upon what to do for her rheumatism and how to handle various family troubles it was at this point the baird got up to leave he said i remembered that i had a lunch appointment and time was passing so i whispered to the leader that i had an engagement and if he would excuse me i would slip out i bade a hurried and apologetic good-bye baird later wrote i am convinced that discoveries of far-reaching importance remain waiting along these shadowy and discredited paths and he says discredited path because, of course, so many people are so sceptical. Ian logie former curator of television at the National Media Museum in Bradford and grandson of logie says that in the 20s and 30s there was a much more blurred line between science and spiritualism than there is today. Part of this was driven by the massive sense of loss resulting from World War I, and a large part of a generation of men was missing and everyone was affected by it.